0: So when Jesus says these kind of things, are they trustworthy sayings? We come today in our study in the Gospel of John to one of these great I am's, I am the resurrection and the life. And it's important for us, I think, a worthy thing to do to just pause and wonder does he know what he's talking about like is he actually representing reality as it is like when he talks about death um does it correspond to what's really true and real or was he just you know trying to give people something nice to think about and you know something like almost flowery to hang on to it raises the question really what happens to a christian when they die Like what really happens when we take our last breath? Or in the words of Tom Wright in his book, Surprised by Hope, he started his book asking, what exactly are we waiting for? What exactly is it that happens in that last moment? And then of course, what are we supposed to be doing about it in the meantime? So I want to suggest that for me Jesus actually knew things That he wasn't merely saying religious things But that he saw And he lived in And therefore taught about A God bathed world That he knew most of his hearers didn't see or ever experience But let me say that again He lived in it He saw it And so think about you living in your house and you seeing your house. You could then teach about it, right? You could say it's three bedrooms and two baths and the bedrooms are upstairs, right? You could teach about it. And what you taught about that, you living in this house bathed reality, what you taught about it therefore would actually correspond to reality. And this is what's happening with Jesus. I'm gonna say it again, he saw, And he lived in this God-bathed reality that he was actually teaching about. He knew human circumstances. He knew our predicament within this world and our predicament, you might say, or our place in God's world to come and in his kingdom. And so he taught about these things, not merely in ways that corresponded to reality, but he taught about them for a purpose. And one key aspect that Jesus um, wanted to bring to us is to bring us to a place where we no longer have to be ruled by fear. I mean, just think of all the human sin, all the human carnage that happens by people operating out of fear. And Jesus wanted to tell us about this reality so that it could set us free. So that there would never, ever again be anything evil or hurtful that you'd have to do to someone else to secure yourself. That you'd be so free, so secure, that you would never ever again have to do anything evil or hurtful to someone else in order to have a good and safe life. That's the kind of freedom that Jesus was trying to bring us. And so within that wider scope, he understood death, and he understood the afterlife. And he understood that the way this really works goes like this, that before you had a physical body, God knew you, right? This is what the scriptures teach in many places. So you had a no physical body existence and you were a person who God knew and he was shaping. And I could go on and on. This is what the scriptures plainly teach. Now we're living an embodied existence And we're a person with a body. But a time is coming in which we will continue to be a person, but not with no body, re-embodied in this glorified body that will be suitable for God's purposes for you in the new heavens and the new earth. Whatever this glorified body is, it will be suitable for God's purposes for you in the new heavens and the new earth. In the same way that this body is suitable for our place on the earth today, in the new heavens and the new earth, you will be reembodied in a way that suits God's purposes, right? Um, most of us in this room are not gonna show up on the cover of GQ or Vogue. <clears throat> I mean, that's suitable to their purposes. <laughs> but these bodies are suitable for God's purposes in this earth and then he will give us a body in the transition that's suitable for his purposes in the new heavens and the new earth. So what Jesus is actually teaching here, what is actually knowledge here, is that nothing like what we normally mean by death is going to happen to us. What people normally mean by death is not gonna happen to anyone who has entered into Jesus' kind of life and who is following him. Now again, the scriptures are very plain about this. For instance, to the thief on the cross, Jesus said to me today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus, another time teaching about reality, said have no fear of those who can only kill the body. Well, why, why would he say such a thing? I mean, that's, of course everybody's gonna be fearful of somebody who could kill their body. What did he mean? Well, what he meant was, 2 Timothy 1, Jesus abolished death. And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul said, to die is to gain. Jesus speaking to the Sadducees one day, arguing with them actually. uh, These Sadducees who believed that physical death was the end of a person's existence. Jesus said to them, Moses calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the god of the dead but the god of the living for to him they are alive did you catch that moses called the patriarchs alive before god because they are alive to him they are not dead as we think of death twice the bible says that we've already passed from death into life And so what this really means is, is that people who are in relationship to God are not allowed in his plan to cease to exist. He doesn't allow it. Once he's created somebody in his image and they are recreated in his image, they're his treasures. God delights in them. He's prepared to work for them in the renewed cosmos. And he wants to relate to them. Could he relate to them if they were dead? Nothing like what we normally think of as death is actually going to happen to us. How could God continue to relate to us in the new heavens and the new earth, as the Bible plainly says, if we were dead? So again, it brings us back to wondering, is this just pretty sentimental, spiritual-sounding words? And I, of course, want to say no, that actually understanding what Jesus is teaching here is crucial to our discipleship and to our practical life we shouldn't be anticipating some horrible event called death. Rather, we shouldn't be envisioning what we'll be doing when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. That's what you should be preparing for. So how might your life be different if you weren't preparing for this horrible event called death, but you were actually using this life to prepare for something that you will be doing in 10,000 years. Now, this is what the writer of Galatians is getting at when he talks to us about what we sow to. And so, instead of neurotically trying to forestall death, Jesus' words make us want to ask, how should we take care of ourselves knowing that we're never gonna cease being? And that we will always be with God, working with Him, as He intended in the garden. So when you think of the new heavens and the new earth, and you want to kind of wonder what that might be like, think back to the garden. When God said to Adam and Eve, come work with me. Come rule and reign with me. Come be my cooperative friends. If you wonder, well, what will we be doing in the new heavens and the new earth? It will be something like that. So then how do we prepare for that? If we're never going to stop existing, how should we then live? What if in death, we're actually more alive than ever, more richly conscious of God and what's real than ever? An old saint who you wouldn't know their name, um, I didn't until I found this, uh, wrote though this beautiful little paragraph. Jesus used symbols pointing to eternal life as limitlessly enhanced life a state of being more intensely alive in an existence which is both perfect fulfillment and yet also endless activity and newness. If death eventually leads to that, then although what we shall think of it with trembling awe and apprehension, yet it will not evoke terror or despair. For beyond death, we will not be less alive, but more alive than we are now. And the reason is, is that in death, we see the reality of God's world for the first time. That we will actually see the reality of God's world for the very first time. No more anxious or neurotic distortions. Or as Paul said, no more seeing through a glass darkly. But like Stephen being stoned to death, he looks up and he like sees through this portal reality for the first time. Or the prophet who sees chariots of fire signaling to him a different kind of reality. Peter, James, and John at the transfiguration got a glimpse of what's most real. Are you feeling me here? Jesus in the garden sees myriads of angels who could protect him. Paul's visions where he's caught up into the third heaven. These are all little moments where humanity had the veil just slightly cracked. And they saw a reality that like for Paul, he would say, this has completely shaped my being. This has shaped my sense of myself. It's shaped my sense of what it means to be human, of what it means to be an apostle, of what it meant to be Jewish of what the Gentiles mean. This reshaped literally his whole orientation to life. One little peak behind that veil. And when we die, we simply enter into that greater reality. I mean, come on, think about it. Jesus said, he who lives and believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. You are just never going to die. So then Jesus said to Martha, do you believe this? Do we actually believe this? Martha answers him, well, yes, Lord, I do believe. And this question of Jesus, again, gets us back to the Galatians passage where Paul wrote, don't be misled. No one ever makes a fool of God. A man will always reap what he sows, that there's a one-to-one correspondence between what someone sows and what they reap. So Paul says, the one who sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Do you see how destruction sounds like the exact opposite of what Jesus has been talking about? But the one who plants or sows in response to God, letting God's spirit do the work in them, that person reaps a a, a harvest, a crop of real life, of eternal life. So what Daniel and Jesus and Galatians are putting before us this morning is something like those you know old words of Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in the middle of a, of a wood, and I chose the one less traveled by far. This is the picture that's being placed before us by these texts this morning. And what Jesus is doing is inviting us into a, into a kind of life now that's shaped by the knowledge of a future, the sure knowledge of a future that would allow us to become actually peaceful, content people, so secure that we never, ever again would have to harm others or ourselves to protect ourselves. That knowing that we have a kind of life today that's only going to be richer and fuller and more conscious of God and what He's up to. Knowing that that awaits us, Jesus wants that to free us. So, sowing to the flesh. Um, I like this paragraph from Tom Wright's book, Surprised by Hope. I think Tom catches this sowing to the flesh business when he says, When human beings give their heartfelt allegiance to and worship that which is not God, they progressively cease to reflect the image of God. For one of the primary laws of human life is that you become like what you worship and then you reflect it to others. So Tom writes, those who worship money increasingly treat other people as creditors, as debtors, as partners, or as customers rather than as human beings. Those who worship sex define themselves in terms of it, their practices, their preferences, and increasingly treat other people as potential or actual sexual partners. Those who worship power define themselves in terms of it and increasingly treat others as collaborators, competitors, or pawns, not human beings. And what Galatians is trying to tell us this morning is that it's possible for human beings to so continue down this road, to so refuse the whisperings of good news, the promptings to turn and go the other way, to refuse all the signposts of the love of God, that after death they become at last what they have become by their own effective choice, beings that were once human but are not now human. They have so dehumanized themselves by choosing not to live in the freedom that Jesus offers that they, in that sense, become creatures who have ceased to bear the, the divine image at all. And something like that is what gets wrapped up in what we think of as hell. But on the other hand, what happens to those who die having sown in response to God, having heard Jesus' words to Martha and answering the question, do you believe me? Well, here's what happens to those who die having sowed in response to God. You don't, you don't die you enter into an immediate rest in the conscious presence of God. Like that. So much so that I wonder if an angel will have to tell us you're dead. Because what literally happens is you enter into an immediate place of rest that's marked by joy and refreshment. But in the constant conscious presence of God. And then there will be a future bodily resurrection in which you'll be given a new body, something like what Jesus was. He was the first fruits of those who are to come. You'll be given this new body that's meant to work um, in the new heavens and the new earth. It will be fully animated by the Holy Spirit. And as I said, this new body will be suitable to God's purposes in us to rule and reign. If that's that sort of back to the garden thing. That he will give us new bodies that are suitable to rule and reign with him and everything the Hubble telescope is telling back to us. That God will have a cosmic people who will rule and reign with him with bodies suitable to his purposes in that and that we will be with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. So that's a lot of stuff. And you say, how can you prove that? How can you like prove that that's true? And the answer to Jesus' first friends and the answer for 2,000 years has been Jesus did it. I mean, unless you wanna, you know, we're not trying to get into all this, but unless you wanna say there's some big conspiracy and all of his first friends were lying. I mean, they're the smartest people in the world from attorneys to philosophers to engineers, just the most brilliant people in the world for 2000 years have tried to debunk the resurrection story and no one is able to do it because the evidence, the best explanation for the evidence is he really did rise from the dead. No one else before him has ever done it. No one after him has done it, but the resurrection teaches us that Jesus knew a reality. He wasn't just teaching spiritual things, that he was actually reflecting reality as it is. And, and he not only taught it, but he embodied it. You could touch his flesh. So whatever his glorified body was, the, the nail scars remain, the scars in his side remain. He could speak. But apparently didn't have vocal cords. cords. Apparently didn't have gray matter the way we think of it because you could not take your gray matter and vocal cords through a wall. But he walked through walls. So whatever this new body is, is, there's nothing that we have that can exactly help us see what it is. But we can just trust that it will be suitable to what God's doing with us in the new heavens and the new earth. And so Jesus' resurrection proves to us that he actually did ultimately defeat death. And that Jesus' resurrection shows us that someday, someday everything in the whole world will be subject to that victory. Justice will be prevailed. No more sex trap thing. Sorry dudes in Thailand, you're toast. God's justice will finally happen. No more hunger, no more pain, no more fear. Now, people who are on the opposite side of that, who are intent to create hunger, who are intent to misuse human beings, who are intent to dehumanize themselves, God's created a place for them in the cosmos too. Again, typically called hell. But Jesus' resurrection um, proves to us that the world of evil violence and exploitation will one day be put to rights. And that we will then have a place in that. A place in God sort of executing on that through the whole new heavens and the whole new earth. So you know this is that moment where we normally have a quiet time, a little bit quiet. I think this morning having heard this, you might wanna bow your head with a really big smile on your face. And you could even be permitted a little chuckle because you are never going to die. Jesus defeated death and created in you to be a never-ceasing spiritual being with an incredible future in God's great renewed cosmos. That's who you are. So you can bow your head now, a little bit of quiet, with a little smile on your face this morning. Amen.